When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome on in, Eagles fans, to episode two of the No Huddle Show right here on NJ.com. We appreciate you listening last week, downloading and subscribing, of course, on iTunes and on Stitcher. Uh, we're going to be doing this every single week, all the way through Eagles season and beyond. Great, you know, great numbers last week. So many of you listened and, and joined in our first episode. I'm Joe Gillio. We have, of course, with us Elliot Shore Parks. Elliot, how are you, bud? Doing good, man. Doing good. Excited to do uh, episode two. I am too. We have also Mark Echo with us. Mark, how are you? I'm great. Looking forward to breaking more records. That's right. We're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep talking Eagles, and there's so much to talk about, as there was last week to start off training camp. Uh, it started off with a bang with the trade of uh, Brandon Boykin. Uh, now we'll get into the news that happened on Monday morning where it was confirmed Ja'Cory Shepard, the sixth-round pick, went down the corner with an ACL injury. So we'll get to all that. But I think the biggest story of the first week, guys, and you have seen them with your own, uh, I guess, altogether four eyes or so, Mark and Elliot. Uh, you've seen them out there practicing all week, and you've watched Sam Bradford. To me, he's the story here early on, he, how he's looked, how he's played, and what hope it's given Eagles fans. Elliot, in your opinion, what have you seen from Bradford? More than you expected, less, or about the same? Well, I couldn't have seen less than I expected. <laughs> I think I was pretty clear throughout the offseason. I, was, I, was, you know, I had my doubts about the trade. I mean, you look at his resume, and you know, we beat this to death, but clearly he had big question marks coming to camp. But... The first few days, um, you know, where uh, you know, first few days he was he was not great. I mean, he was healthy, which is important, and that that's obviously number one when it comes to him. But he looked rusty. He uh, he had two interceptions. He fumbled the ball. He just didn't look sharp. But he's really pulled it together the last few days. Um, over the weekend on Saturday and Sunday were probably his best two practices he's had. Um, you know, he's got 11 touchdowns to two interceptions so far. Um, so he's he's been everything as advertised, but. Obviously, the big question is when the pads go on and he starts getting hit, will he, will he be able to continue the strong play? Yeah, I mean, that's the key. And the good news is he's healthy and he, he hasn't missed a practice. And that's what we were worried about all through, you know, April, May, June. Is he going to be out there? Is he going to be out there day one? Yes, he was out there day one. Is he going to be out there day two after playing all day one? Is he going to get sore? Is he going to miss some time? Well, no, he hasn't missed a beat. He's been out there the entire time. And that's, that's the great news. As far as how he's looked, I mean, we knew he had a good arm. I mean, everybody, I mean, if you ever saw Sam Bradford play going back to his days at Oklahoma, you knew he could throw the ball and throw it pretty well and, and, and have a good, good deep ball. Like Elliot said, I want to, it's going to be way more important. This is, this is the most important preseason in all my years of covering the Eagles because you want to see, I, there's a million things to see, but number one is quarterback and how's he going to take that first hit? You know, 
is he is he, you know I, I talked to a Buckhalter during um, a, a alumni day last week, and you know he missed two straight years with with knee injuries, and he said, yeah, you're you're timid. That f until you get hit that first time, you're thinking about it. It's it's mental. It's the whole thing. So, you know, Brad, and I'm sure Sam's thinking the same way. I mean, he's probably, he has to be a, be a little nervous, a little to, timid to 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 use that that word. So yeah, I I can't wait to see him play. Even if he, even if he only plays a series or two, I want to see him play against a live defense. And that's kind of that's you know to go off of Mark's point of what Carl Buckholder said. You know, you're timid at first, and that's kind of what you what I saw at least from Bradford in the first few practices. Not so much timid, but just I mean, you got to remember this guy's only played seven games in the past two years. So aside from being timid, he's I mean there was rust, and there was he said it right. himself that. Being out there and playing on 11 on 11, he forgot how fast it was. And if he thinks this is fast, wait until he plays in you know the preseason, and then it'll speed up even more Monday night in Atlanta to open the season. So, you know, as Mark's saying, yeah, he, you know, there's going to be that timid factor. And, and as good as he's looked, I still think you know he has plenty of questions to answer. Based on what you guys have seen so far, and, and like you've said, you know, it's been a little timid, not perfect out there, still trying to feel his way back. But just what you've watched him, and you both talked about his arm to start your answer to the last question. Based on what you've seen, do you see now why up close, why so many people loved him coming out of Oklahoma? And I mean, I remember talking about him and listening to things about him then when he came out and when he was you know, winning his Heisman Trophy and all that kind of stuff, that he was you know, one of the highest-rated quarterbacks from Peyton Manning to his draft. And you think there were some pretty good ones in between there, but people love this guy. What is it about him? Is it the arm strength? Is it accuracy? Is it release? Why are people so high on him based on what you see in practice, Elliot? I mean, it's a little bit of everything. I mean, the thing about him is, and as we mentioned, he's going to look good in settings like this because he's able to sit back there, they can't touch him, and he, he can't get sacked. So when Bradford's able to just stand in the pocket, plant his feet, and make the throws, I mean, he's accurate, he has a strong arm, he, I mean, you know, and not just down the field strong arm, he can get the ball out quickly over to the sidelines, and he makes good decisions. I mean, he's attempted... Uh, something like 144 passes so far in training camp, and he has only two interceptions. So he's done a good job being safe with the ball. Now, the flip side of that is he doesn't take a ton of shots down the field. But to your point, when he's back there and he's just standing there, he, he looks very special. Yeah, what, what people liked about him is exactly what the Eagles liked about him and why they took the gamble trading for him to, despite the, the uh, knee injuries is he does. He, Chip Kelly's offense is based off – getting rid of the ball quickly, getting it out, finding the mismatch and going to it. And that's what Nick Foles, for all the St. Nick lovers, that's what Nick Foles did not do, even at his best. He did not get rid of the ball quickly. He was How many times did he drop back and pat, pat, pat? Throw, you know, no, Chip doesn't want that. Bradford gets rid of the ball, and that's that's what this offense is all about, up-tempo, quick. And, that, and Brad, that's Bradford's, that is Sam Bradford's strength as a quarterback, is getting rid of the ball quickly moving the ball, getting it down, you know, and he doesn't have to go downfield a whole, he can, but this offense isn't going to be a, you know, a, a long, a long passing, long strike offense. It's going to be a, you know, quick slant and then have Josh Huff, Elliott's favorite player, break <laughs> people and, and, and go for big yards. It's interesting, Mark, you brought that up because I feel like now year three of this Chip Kelly NFL offense, which is obviously different than what it was in Oregon, but I remember when Chip first started, we were all wondering what would the Oregon offense look like in the NFL, and Chip tried to say, this is different here. This is the NFL. We'll mold the offense of the players we have. In the first year, they did, they did throw the football down the field you know, more than I think they will now because they had Deshaun Still. Riley Cooper made some plays down the field. Last year, as you just mentioned, Mark, 
too much holding the football in the pocket from Nick Foles. In your eyes, based on watching practice, based on the strengths of the, this offense here, what is it going to look like this year? Is it what you're just saying there where it's going to be more underneath routes and let these guys make plays after the catch? Because the first two years of Chip, they did throw the football, or at least tried to, maybe more than they will this year. Do you think that? Well, yeah, I think they're going to – I mean, they're going to – let's start off first. They're going to run the ball a lot this year. They, I will – I would be willing to wager that they run the – they may be the most running team in the league this year. Why not? You have three very good backs, so why not take advantage of them? Um, so they're going to run a lot, and they're going to do – like I said, I think they're going to be – it's going to be a lot of underneath, a lot of slants. Now, again, if the defense – what Chip Kelly's offense tries to do is take advantage of what the defense – he doesn't feel the defense can stop everything that he wants to do. So if they all of a sudden start cheating up and taking away the underneath stuff – yeah, he'll send Aguilar deep or Huff deep and, and try to get an easy score. But for the most part, I think what this offense wants to do is have an have 16-play, 80-yard, six-minute drives. That's that's the goal. They don't – I mean, again, if you can score quick, you don't say no. But And the only thing that's similar to Oregon is the up-tempo, the no huddle, the move it, move it, move it, you know, wear the defense out kind of thing. That stayed the same. And that's where that's where Bradford really factors in because, as you talked about, that's where the decision making and holding on to the ball last year with Foles really killed the offense. I mean, when again, when Foles has time to sit back there, and, you know, he can be accurate. I mean, although he did miss some throws, but where Bradford's really going to help is, you know, he's it's going to be an eight play, you know, eight eight eighty yard drive, but they'll be able to do it quicker because Bradford's going to get the ball quick out to space. And that's the one thing you've seen in training camp is they they are getting the ball out to to players like Aguilar, Huff, Matthews on these quick slants, you know, less than 10 yards in space, and, you know, they can't tackle yet, so it's hard to see how far they've been able to go. But I think that's, that's what they're going to do. And you also see a ton of running plays. I mean, Echo can speak to this more than I can because he's, he's covered more training camps. But, you know, it seems like almost, uh, you know, 40% of the plays they run in team are, are runs, which I would maybe guess – more. Maybe more than 40. Tackle. Yeah, maybe even more than 40. Um, so running is going to be a huge part of this, and that, that also has to do with the defense. And, you know, we'll talk later about the defense with all this Corey Shepard news, but last year the defense was on the field, I mean, almost four more games than uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers who were on the field the least. So the defense, as a result of this, you know, maybe holding the ball a little longer on offense, the defense should benefit from it. Yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, that's the Cowboys last year obviously were a, a really good example of that, of using the running game to keep their defense off the field. You look at the numbers, guys, of Chip Kelly when he was at Oregon. At last few years, his teams did run the football over 60% of the time. Now, the NFL is mostly a passing league now. It's rare to find a team that actually runs it more than they pass it. But do you think, based on what you've seen in practice and just for throwing the numbers out there, I mean, do you think we could see a pretty significant split in the regular season where it's, you know, something like 55-45 run, which I think in 2015, that would be pretty considering the way the league is right now, don't you think, you, Mark? You, you took the numbers right out. That's when I, as I heard you talking, I was, I thought you were going to ask me for the numbers. I, that's, that's what I would say. I would think, I think 55-45 is where they want to be. Now, that, again, that could change game to game, obviously, if, if there's a game, there, like, like let's say last year's Green, Green Bay game, for example, where they, they were down so much so fast, well, then you can't run. You have to throw to try to come back. Uh, on the other, on the flip side, there may be games where they run the ball more if they get the big lead. If, if, they, if they jump on a Tampa Bay and they're up 21 nothing, then I see, I see a, a lot of, you know, uh, Murray and, and Matthews and Sproles just coming at the Bucks in the whole, you know, whole fourth quarter maybe. So, but I think, I think overall, yeah, I think 55-45 is a very good, 
good good split for this team. And I mean, last year, I think Chip learned his lesson twofold last year. One, I think he finally might have learned his lesson about having a defense out on the field too long. And that's where running the ball more plays in. But two, I mean, you know, you look at the play of Foles the last two years. In 2013, he threw the ball over 30 times, I believe only once. And then last year in eight games, he threw it over 30 times, I think seven out of eight games and close to over 50 times maybe once or twice. So last year I think Chip got a little pass happy, and you saw what happened. I mean, Foles turned the ball over way more. Now the good news is in training camp um, this this year, I mean, the quarterbacks aren't turning the ball over. Bradford doesn't have a ton, only two interceptions. Sanchez only has one interception. So quarterbacks are being smarter with the ball. The only problem with that, Elliot, maybe it's the Eagles secondary. Well, it doesn't get any interceptions. That, yeah, so maybe that is a problem. But, I mean, at least, you know, based off the offense, the quarterbacks do seem to be smarter with the ball. And to get back to the, the running percentage, I think that's why they're going to run it more. You don't want Bradford or Sanchez putting the ball up, whoever's in there, you know, 40-plus times a game. You know, part of this defense has to get off the field thing, or the defense is – I should say part of this defense is on the field too much. Well, they could get off the field too. You know, they were they – were, how many times last year was it? Third and 12, third and 11, third and 9, third and 14 – and any other team made a big play and, yeah. and took the first down. I mean, that happened so many times. I mean, get off the field. Billy Davis said it himself. Get um, when was it Sunday? That um, you know, it's on us. We need to. We need to get off the field on third down. We need to to stop somebody. Yeah, Elliot. A couple of things you said a few minutes ago stood out to me about the quarterbacks and and really just the way you guys have described what the offense could look like here, and it would be. You know, less big plays, at least design big plays. Like if someone breaks a play, they break a play. But more 8, 10, 11 play drives. And if you do that, my thinking is, well, you have to be very careful with the football because if you have that many plays and more throws, just you not know, throw it four or five times a drive to get down the field, you have more chance uh, eventually for interceptions. More things could go wrong the more plays you have in a drive. So with that, you were just talking about the fact these quarterbacks were pretty good holding on to the football in camp here? Have they been taking shots from your eyes, or has it been very conservative? Because when we get into the games, I mean, you have to try to throw the football in a tight window once in a while, but also not try to have a turnover. How about, you know, the marriage of that with Bradford? In the in the team drills, well, I'm talking 11 on 11 now, they've been taking some shots down the field, but, I mean, if they, they have been fairly conservative with the ball. I mean, I would say most of their attempts are 15 yards or less, and to be honest, that's par for the course for Bradford's career. I was talking to someone on the sideline um, you know, an NFL person on the sideline during one of the practices, and they were saying that after watching Bradford for all these years in St. Louis, he dinks and dunks the ball a lot. Now, in St. Louis, that wasn't an effective strategy because they didn't have talent and playmakers on the outside. So the hope is with the Eagles, you know, he won't have to go down the field as much because if he can make the right read and just follow Chip's plays, they can dink and dunk their, their way right down the field. But I agree with you. I mean, even if, you're, even if you get an incompletion, you throw the ball down the field, it makes the defense think maybe you get a uh, – a pass interference penalty or something like that. And, you know, back to my boy Josh Huff, I think that's how they might try to use him throw to get him deep because he is the quickest receiver on the team. And he, of the players that have made plays down the field in training camp, he has had about two or three catches, I would say, you know, 30 yards, 30, 40 yards or more. Well, another strength of, of Huff and, and Aguilar and Matthews, too, for that matter as well, is they're good with yards after the catch. And I think that's going to be a big stat this year to see what kind of numbers the Eagles wide receivers put up in, in yards after the catch. Because I think Bradford, I think the goal is Bradford throws an eight or nine yard pass and one of those three guys turns it into an 18 yard play, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, and that's the whole point. Bradford hit him in stride, which Foles didn't always do. Let's, again, I don't want to just come back to criticize Nick Foles all the time, but 
hit him in stride, turn that eight-yard play into an 18-yard play. Yeah, and that has to be the goal. And that, and if you could do that, you can make those plays. You take the short plays uh, and make them into bigger ones, and obviously put pressure on defensive backs to make plays. Let's go to that side of the ball. A few minutes ago, Mark, you joked that you know maybe the good percentages, the good you know plays so far in camp from the quarterbacks, a little bit because of the Eagles' defensive backs. Well, we got news on Monday morning uh, confirming the fears of the Eagles from Sunday with the open practice. The link, Jacory Shepard, sixth-round pick. Uh, he had been in the nickel spot early here in camp. He goes down with a knee injury covering, covering Darren Sproles. It's an ACL. We won't see him now. I guess there's so many layers to this. You know, what it does to the defense. Back to the trade last week. Well, let's, let's just start with Ja'Cory Shepard. Uh, how much are they going to miss him based on what you know and what you saw of the first week? Elliot? Hold on, hold on. Before we get to Ja'Cory Shepard, are we really not going to talk about Tim Tebow? Are we, <laughs> are we not going to have any Tebow time? I mean, we need Tebow time. We need Tebow. Fourth quarter. Tebow time's the fourth quarter, so we'll wait till the fourth we quarter. We end with Tebow. Right. All right, Tiba. Okay, all right, then I'll answer your Ja'Cory Shepard question. I mean, Echo might be better off to answer this one just because, I mean, he wrote it this morning with what, what they're going to do without him. And, you know, as he's mentioned, the plan is – the plan was never to have Ja'Cory Shepard be the nickel. I know he was taking reps there at the start, but, you know, as Chip will say, not to sound like Chip, but people take reps everywhere during practice. Chip's put, Chip's, Chip puts fourth-string guys with the first team and vice versa. So the plan was, as Echo wrote – was to put Carroll in the slot, and they have lined up that way a few times in practice, and have Rowe on the outside. So the Corey Shepard injury obviously is devastating for him on a number of levels. It's going to hurt his development. Um, and then obviously just, you know, health-wise, you know, how is he the same player next year? Um, how does that ACL recover? That type of thing. But in terms of the Eagles, I think this more hurts the depth to a certain degree, but it's not going to have any impact um, on their, their season, if, if that makes sense. I'm glad you're reading my, my, my stuff, Elliot. Yeah. Everyone's oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that, yeah, I mean, anyone who thought Ja'Cory Shepard was ahead of Eric Rowe is insane. I mean, one guy was a sixth-round pick, and, and let, me, let me say this. He was beyond his years for a sixth-round pick, and I, it's, a, it's a darn shame that the kid got hurt. He's a nice kid. I feel for him. He was working hard. He would have been probably their sixth guy. And I don't know how often they would they would go to six because Billy Davis told us they're going to play a lot more nickel and not as much dime this year because of the versatility at, at, at linebacker. Uh, but with that said, yes, Eric Rowe will be the fifth guy. When they go to five defensive backs, Rowe will come in. They like him outside, and then they'll move either Carroll. They could move Byron Maxwell. Depending on who they're playing and, and who's lined up where, Maxwell could, could move inside as well. But I think more times than not, Carroll will, will, will move inside. So what this does, this is a lot. This, this is a lot like the Travis Long um, injury being out for the year. The Eagles, all of a sudden, they don't have the, the depth they thought they had at, in some areas is no longer there. Now they really can't afford another injury at cornerback, or they're really in trouble. And then, right. I mean, Mark, Mark just touched on it about moving guys around. That's kind of the Eagles' whole M mo in the secondary. They like players that can play almost all four positions in, in, in the backfield. But the, the problem with that is then you have a lot of guys that are good at one position, but you have to ask, are there any guys that are great at their position? I mean, Byron Maxwell is, you know, obviously a very good corner. Um, Malcolm Jenkins is a good safety. But outside of that, you don't have, I mean, you know, is Carroll better at the outside or at slot? Is Thurman better at safety or, or you know, down in, in being the nickel corner? Um, you know, you, then you talk about the, the undrafted guys, like, like Rice or a six-round pick, Randall Evans. These guys have shown flashes. But I think you have a ton of question marks there, and that was going to be there whether Ja'Cory Shepard was healthy or not, really. Ja'Cory Shepard didn't solve any problems. 
he was a potential answer, but those questions are still there even after his, his injury. Yeah, they certainly are. And now, I mean, you think about it where we were a week, a week and a half ago, projecting what the secondary could be. You had Brandon Boykin on our minds, and you also had Ja'Cory Shepard as one of those young guys in the mix. Now, uh, through a trade and through an injury, they're down two of those guys. I mean, how, how much more can they withstand depth-wise? I mean, you guys have seen the full complement of what they have in the defensive backfield from the rookies to the veterans. Are we at the point here where if there's one more injury, and I'm not even talking about Maxwell because that would be a disaster no matter what, but if there's one more injury to anyone here, you start wondering about just the depth in general. Are we at that point quite yet? Well, well two things I would say is, one, a lot of people have been talking about the Boykin trade and whether or not that was a mistake. I still think that was a good trade. You get a potentially, or more than likely, a fourth-round pick for a guy who was going to leave next year as a free agent and also was you know a little average to below average last year. So I think even with the Shepard injury, that was still a good trade. But to your point, I think one player they absolutely can't afford to lose now, and obviously besides Maxwell, is Carroll. Because Carroll, you know, he's a veteran. He's played. He's been in the defense. He can play the outside. He can play the inside. He's kind of holding it all together. If you lose him, then you're talking about being forced to start row on the outside. And you're not really able to move him inside because, you know, then – or maybe you have to move Thurmond out of safety, which is not a good idea, and put him into the slot. So – you talk about withstanding injuries. They can lose, you know, Randall Evans or Rice because you can find another player like that. But if they lose Carroll now, they're in big trouble. Yeah, I mean, that's what I, that's what I had said previously. They're, this injury, as it stands, is certainly not, not devastating. It's a shame for the kid, like I said, and he's a real nice kid. He was, their, no, he was their number six guy, which, okay, but now somebody else has to be six. So, yeah, they, they can't afford to lose any of the top five. They can't afford to lose Maxwell Carroll. Um, Jenkins, obviously they can't lose Michael Jenkins. Um, Thurman or Rowe, because then they're now they're yeah they they become what they thought was a deep position has now become I won't say thin, but it's right where you want it to be. So yeah, they 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 would be hard pressed if they lost. Again, although a guy we haven't talked about, and they seem to like him, and he's been around the league, so he's not a kid. Is EJ Biggers, who I think probably becomes the fifth guy or the sixth guy now. Um, he's, he can play in, inside or, or, or outside. Is that EJ Biggers calling in? Heard about himself? I thought I turned that off, but I guess I didn't. <laughs> that, was, that was EJ. He wanted to say, hey, thanks for the little pub there. <laughs> All right, so as we look at this team now, a week, no more than a week into training camp here, uh, as we go through this week, the first preseason game is coming up on Sunday against the Indianapolis Colts. Of all of the position battles that you guys have watched and we've talked about here, I mean, the D-backs certainly have become, you know, very intriguing now because of a trade and injury. But, you know, if you had to watch one on Sunday, if you had to look there and say, hone in, I'm going to hone in on this position battle Sunday when that game comes up against the Colts, which is it for you? Which one are you watching, you know, on the first preseason game? To me, to me, it's right guard. Um, and Chip talked about it earlier uh, this week, um, that the, the problem with assessing right guard during practice is they're not hitting. I mean, it's not physical. So guys can go in there. You can see if they're, you know, going the right blocking direction during the play. But in terms of actual skill, it's, it's hard to tell. So for the Colts, the biggest the biggest thing is going to be right guard. And the, the players right there, Matt Tobin, um, John Moffitt, maybe Andrew Gardner, none of these guys have really stood out. Chip said that when he spoke earlier this week on Sunday. He said he was hope he, he basically insinuated he was hoping somebody would kind of jump out and take that job. And nobody's done it yet, so it's going to be a big. It's going to be huge to see against the Colts because these guys are going to play, and they're probably going to play more than, than the regular starters. How they look in there, and if someone can kind of take that job and, and win it. 
Yeah, that's the obvious one. I mean, that's what I was going to say as well. Right guard, that's the only starting spot, I think, that hasn't been decided yet. So um, since I don't want to just re repeat everything Elliot said, what I want to look at is the not from a starting standpoint, but all the almost backups everywhere. Who's going to be the third outside linebacker? I mean, yeah. keep in mind, Brandon Graham last year played 500 snaps. That's a lot of snaps for, for a backup. Who's going to – Graham's now starting in place of Trent Cole. Well, who's going to be that third guy? Is it Marcus Smith? Uh, is it Brandon Hepburn, who they've been talking about? Um, is it Brad Jones, who was supposed to be an inside guy, but they're moving him outside a little bit now? So I, I want to watch that. I, I, I want to see um, who, how, how do the wide receivers break down. You have, you have four guys, you know, Aguilar, Huff, Matthews, Cooper, and then, and then throw in Miles Austin, who, who they brought in. You know, who's going to play where and, and, and how often? So, like, I'm, I'm, this is the first time in my, what, 30 years covering a team where I'm actually going to pay attention to the third and fourth quarters of a, of a preseason game. One of the things that we're probably not going to pay attention to, it's funny, I wanted to bring this up because, because last year at this time, one of the big themes or big talking points of Eagles camp was the worry around Alex Henry, the worry around the Eagles kicking game situation. And Henry's not even in the league right now, which shows you how far he fell. But just uh, Cody Parkey, I know he's, you know he's not a story right now, but that's a good thing because he had a good year last year. Uh, you know, that's like one of the moments here with this Eagles preseason. That's not even a story, not even anything that's brought up. Parkey to you, is he a, a, through one year based on what you saw last year, is he just a, a rock-solid kicker now in your mind? Or, you know, is that even – do you even think about the Eagles <laughs> kicking situation? Yeah, I mean, I was at me, – me and Echo were actually talking about this during practice feed, uh, a few days ago. I believe it was Monday we were talking about it. He was out there kicking, and, I mean, he looks good. He's making kicks, I mean, from 40 on. He made a 58-yarder a few days ago. The only question I would have with him is, two, I guess, two questions. One, he did miss those big kicks against the Redskins, and I know he came back the next next week and, and was 4-4 four for four against the Giants, but that's at least something to keep in mind. I mean, those are pressure kicks that he missed. And the other thing is he, he himself admitted last year he got a little bit fatigued by playing the 16 games, and you could see it where he wasn't kicking the ball out of the end zone like he was at the beginning of the season. So you know, I, I wouldn't say he's a lock because, as you mentioned, Alex Henry, who at one point was the most accurate kicker in the history of the franchise, is now out of the league. So kickers can come and go. But I definitely think Parkey is not something they have to worry about going into the season, unlike last year with with him really as a rookie and Alex Henry. Well, he, he better be a lock because they don't have another kicker in camp. So <laughs> it's, it's all him. And I actually chartered him the, the, the one day. Uh, I forget what day it was. I, I want to say the Thursday maybe. Whatever day it was, they, they started practice with, with him kicking. And he made, he made 15 straight kicks. He was, he was a perfect 15 for 15. So if practice means anything, I don't think they have to worry about, about their kicker. All right, let's go to some Twitter questions here. At Elliot Shoreparks, at Mark Echo 08, at Joe Gilio Sports is how you get those questions. Anytime during the week, we'll take them, uh, and then we'll answer some each week on the No Huddle Show. So we'll do this. This will be our third quarter here of the podcast this week, and we'll end with a Team Tibio question to lead us into uh, the fourth quarter of the No Huddle Show. We'll start with this one, guys. Uh, Kiko Alonso, question came in here uh, from Brett Schiller at Wise Sageman saying, you know, what's the severity of Kiko's concussion? Should we be worried about this? Or is this just early on precautions for a guy who really doesn't have any history of concussions that we know about? Well, Billy, Billy Davis talked yesterday and he said that Kiko should be fine. I mean, you know, you never want to, with a concussion, you're, there's always worries. But I wouldn't even completely count out the Kiko plays against the Colts. And the other good thing is, 
Billy Davis said, Kiko has a very good grasp on the defense. That's maybe the one thing you worry about with him missing these mental reps. But um, I don't think there's anything to be worried about with Kiko Alonso. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, the way the league is now, and and I'm not I I think that's it's a great thing because of what we you know we, we see the stories that have happened you know former players but had having so many concussions and not being taken care of. You really have to be careful. And if he doesn't play against the Colts, which like Elliot said he might, if he doesn't, again, I'm not even worried about that. Um, he's a good player. He, he's you know if yeah he's he he knows the defense. Um, yeah, not, that's that's no concern at all. There's there's a lot more things to worry about than uh, than Kiko Alonso right now. All right, at DGB0711, he's asked, does Marcus Smith look any different? I did see last week Marcus Smith talked about being on a different diet, trying to get his body in better shape, a little stronger out there, to be able to handle the rigors of a full season at the 3-4 outside linebacker position. Second year in camp, does he look like a different player, or is he still the same Marcus Smith? Oh, well, I mean, he looks one I mean, you know, there's the old cliche, you, you know, looks like Tars and plays like Jane. <laughs> and that's Marcus Smith right now. I don't care what he looks like. I want to see how he plays. He looked fine last year to me. I didn't think he looked bad. He looked like a. He actually looks the part. If you see, if you didn't know anything and you just looked at these guys, you'd say, "Whoa, that guy's pretty good, right?" He, you know, he's he's built what they he's built like what they want their outside linebackers to be. He, he just couldn't play. The only the only thing I'll add to that, and I, I agree with Mark that until the hitting starts and he's in a game, we'll be we won't really be able to see how he's come along. But he has put on more muscle. I mean, he's 15 pounds heavier and that's all muscle, so he's a bigger guy. And last year that was a big issue for him with getting off blocks, but um, no, the, the, his problem. Go ahead. What? His problem isn't. His problem is 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 knowing what to do. He's always out of place. He. It's not physical with him. It's mental. He 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 has no reaction uh, skills. He he he's not a. He doesn't know. He didn't know to. De- he was a mess. He he didn't know what he was doing. That that was his problem. Ask ask your buddy Gore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think part of that, though, was the fact that they moved him around? I mean, they didn't give him a chance to just play and just stay all year at outside linebacker when they had the depth issues inside last year. And I think it was in that Niner game that you're talking about there when he lost Gore and he was wide open. They moved him to inside linebacker for a few weeks. I mean, do you think that stunted him a little bit mentally? Yeah, I think so. And not only did they move him around, they started him off back in OTAs last year at uh, Connor Barwin's spot, which is maybe the most complicated position on the defense in terms of all the responsibilities. And then you move him from there to the other side. Then you move him to the inside. Then you move him back outside. And then he's back inside. And I think they've kind of learned from that mistake this year with Eric Rowe, where Eric Rowe is, Rowe is going to be an outside cornerback. He's not going to move inside. I mean, you know, barring some massacre, maybe. But they're, they're planning to keep him on the outside, have him learn that same position. And I think part of that is because of how Marcus Smith – you know, you don't want to make excuses for Marcus Smith because he, he certainly – a lot of the blame falls on him. But I do think there's something to be said for the fact that he did have to move all around last year. Yeah, you. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to – I don't want to kill him, but I think they moved him trying to find something he could do. I mean, he couldn't <laughs> play special teams, for God's yeah. sake. The backup linebacker, first-round pick, can't play special teams? I, I, I didn't put him on my 53-man roster again. <laughs> And I'm, until he makes it, I'm not putting him on. All right, Logan chimed in and asked, the undrafted free agent with the best chance to make the team so far. You both mentioned Denzel Rice earlier. Is he the choice right now? Is there someone else? Who's the best best bet of the guys that we probably weren't talking much about before last week? 
Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll follow up and I'll go with the Denzel Rice uh, just because, in my opinion, he is the guy. I mean, I don't know if Randall Evans, the, the other six-round pick, along with Corey Shepard, was going to make the team. So I think him in uh, – I, I think the fact that Rice was undrafted doesn't uh, give Evans any type of edge. Rice has made some plays. The coaches consistently mention him ahead of Evans when they're talking about the cornerback position. So I think out of all the undrafted guys, he has the best chance of finding his way onto the final roster. I'm not, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go the other side of the ball and just based off what they did to get him, and I'm gonna go with the offensive lineman Brett Boyko, who the Eagles gave twenty five thousand to sign, which is probably more than they gave you know, more than an undrafted the guy normally gets. It's way more. Uh, they also guaranteed part of his contract this year, so they must have like they, there's something that they liked about him, um, and I don't think I think because they gave him that I I think they're a little leery of releasing him and trying to get him to the practice squad because for them to give him that much somebody else must have been offered him something so if I have to pick an undrafted rookie I'm I'm going with Brett Boyko because I and I know Kelly loves Boyko he yeah. does we have heard him talk about Boyko before and it was Derek uh, Boyko he was talking about most of the time. <laughs> Derek Boyko, yeah, he's a good guy, the PR director of the Eagles. But Boyko, the other Boyko, uh, could make the team here. All right, we've waited. I think based, based, again, based off the fact that they, they gave him a kind of – the kind of contract they gave him was not a normal contract for an undrafted guy. Right, and that probably gives him a little bit leg up, or at least they like him, uh, and that was evident from the moment they brought him in. All right, we've waited long enough here. It is the fourth quarter of the No Huddle Show here on NJ.com. A couple of tweets flew in. Obviously, it's talking point everywhere from fans. Last week, I think it was Thursday – uh, Tim Tebow was having himself a pretty good day. I could tell that because I was on my phone and every tweet was flying in from you guys, every reporter out there, every fan. People were talking Tebow because Tebow's a big deal. How has he looked so far? And the question that came in was, what do you handicap the percentage chance that he makes this team now after watching him the first week of practice? Elliot, Tim Tebow? Well, let, let's, let's talk about his last week of practice first because, as you mentioned, last Thursday – was maybe the best day – well, was the best day he's had so far. And he was maybe one of the best quarterbacks on the field that day. I mean, he was making throws down the field. And as we talked about, the Eagles quarterbacks haven't been doing that very often. And when he can put nice touch on his passes, I mean, he really becomes a threat just because he can also run the ball, which is something he, he's highlighted the past few days. Now, the only issue I'll say is Tebow, after that, after that strong practice on Thursday, he struggled Friday and, and Saturday. He, he was inaccurate with the ball. Um, you know, I think I believe he didn't have an interception, but or he did. He did have an interception where he he flicked the ball on on uh, Saturday to Chris Brzezinski trying to make a play. Some people think he was out of bounds, but it was still a poor decision, regardless if it was close. So he struggled for a few days. But the good news is, if you're rooting for Tebow to make the team, he had a good day on Sunday, um, he, and he's kind of rebounded a little bit. So you're asking me his chances of making the team. I still put it last night. I said 78 percent. I'll go big and I'll go 80 percent now. 99.9. Wow. He's making a team. I said it from the day that he got here. He only, only, the only thing he has to do is beat out Matt Barkley. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> not, we're not asking him to, you know, save the world. We're asking him to beat out Matt Barkley. Matt Barkley's not, not that good. Uh, and, and Tebow, as, as Chip said last, last week, Tim Tebow has a skill set that our other quarterbacks don't have. So you, if you want – somebody different, and Tebow, and, I, and I, by, by, by what he meant by that was his ability to run, and we've seen him run very well in, in camp. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to be, I will be stunned, and I may have to take a week off because <laughs> just to re recover um, if Tebow doesn't, doesn't make it. And the other thing is, I mean, people point out 
and I agree with him to a certain extent that as a pure passer, Barkley is probably a better option. But on the flip side of that, he might be. But statistically, I mean, Barkley hasn't shown it. He has more interceptions in training camp than Tebow does. Tebow only has one. Barkley has three, which is more than any of the quarterbacks. And I know it was limited uh, time two years ago, and it was a tough spot. I get all that. But he still had four interceptions and a fumble to no touchdowns, Barkley does, in his career, where Tebow has obviously played more and has had way more success in the NFL. So as Mark mentioned, beating out Barkley, you know, although I do think Barkley – you know, who knows if he were to play for an extended amount of time, how he would do. I think that's not exactly mission impossible for Tebow. How does Tebow carry himself? I wonder from your perspective, because he's a guy outside of a couple summers ago when he was in New England for a couple weeks. I mean, he's always been the star of, you know, the star focus of any team he's been on. Maybe he shouldn't have been when he was in Denver, but he was. Everyone wanted to watch Tim Tebow and what he did. I mean, here it's clearly to be the third quarterback or nothing. Does he carry himself like a star, or is Tim Tebow kind of a humble, just fall in line with the other 52 guys type of player on the practice field. What is it like watching him and, and the way he practices? He practices very hard. I mean, he's a, I, I think Brandon Graham told us, you know, he's like the first guy there in the morning. He's the last guy to leave. You see him after practice doing other things. No, he's he's determined and dedicated. And I got to say, I've, I don't know how many athletes I've, I've interviewed in my life, I mean, thousands and that, whatever. He might be. The, he's he's genuine, and he's he's one of the nicest and best people I've ever been around in my life. Now I've been around a lot of bad people, so I'm I'm, I'm not a good judge, but he's just the nicest guy I've ever been around. Yeah, I mean the the funny thing too is I haven't covered as many athletes as Mark has, but you hear a lot about Tebow coming into the team. I mean, obviously you read about him all the time, and he's a down to earth guy. I mean, you know, I've been around athletes like I'll say it like I've been around Tom Brady, and he gives off an aura of I don't know like. It's just—it's not a very friendly aura, I guess would be the way to put it. But with Tebow, he's approachable. He takes—he makes time for people. So obviously, off the field, Tebow—and this is why he's probably still in the NFL and why he does get the chances he gets—is because he works hard and he's a guy you want in the building. He certainly is, and I, I agree with you. That's probably why he gets his shots, and he—he's here with the Eagles now. We'll keep watching. I'm sure we'll watch him uh, this coming weekend. First game. The Colts and the Eagles on Sunday, and we'll come back after that next week. We'll have our third episode then, uh, but this has been fun. Our second episode of the No Huddle Show on NJ.com. You could also subscribe on iTunes and on Stitcher, and if you want, you can follow us, of course, on Twitter, at Joe Gileo Sports, at Elliot Shore Parks, at Mark Eccolo 8 And, Mark, you also have a book that is out now, and I'm sure the yeah. listeners of this podcast would want to pick up. So what's the name of it, and where could they get it, Mark? You can get it almost anywhere. It's called Eagles Playbook, Inside the Huddle for the Greatest Plays in Eagles History. Um, it's available at, on Amazon, uh, triumphbooks.com, and, and I think it's on most shelves at Barnes & Noble. I'll be doing a signing, if you're in the Feasterville area in Bucks County, I'll be doing a signing at Cheese Dogs, a little restaurant uh, on Bustleton Pike on Saturday at noon. Saturday at noon at Cheese Dogs. So get out there, uh, get your book signed by Mark, and, uh, and join us obviously next week for the next episode of the No Huddle Show. Elliot, this was fun. Sounds good. See you guys next week. All right, Mark. Take care, bud. Take care. And thank you, everyone, for listening and for downloading episode two of the No Huddle Show right here on NJ.com.